I'm Ariana. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm so grateful to be here tonight. Hopefully that well, that's just going to fall down. All right. I'll put that right there. Um, thank you, River. So when River asked me to speak here, um, he, he called me, and I was taking a break um, because I was feeding my son, who's a toddler. And if you have a toddler, you know that's really difficult because they don't want to eat anything you give them. So I just needed to like take a moment to like recenter myself. Um, so I couldn't answer the phone right then. And then I called him back, and he asked me to speak here. And when we were in the conversation, I think I said something like, so I don't really understand like what I'm supposed to be talking about. And he told me just to pray about it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really good advice, but I did need to know what the topic was. <laughs> but I did pray about it, and then I asked someone else, and they told me what it was. So I'm all set. Um, so... I have a little note sheet. I'm not just going to read off of it, but I have a really bad attention span. So if I just start talking about something that does not pertain to this, I'll be like, oh, right, that is not on my list of things to discuss. Um, the continue, improve, and practice. So let me back up. Um, my sobriety date is February 14th of 2021. The first time I ever picked up a white chip was February 10th of 2015. So I have a lot of first-hand experience um, in what happens if you don't do the steps uh, to the best of your abilities. I know exactly how that goes. So, and it does not go well. So when I came back into Alcoholics Anonymous in 2021, and I was like, okay, I'm really going to give this a shot. Like, I'm going to do whatever my sponsor tells me to do. I just want to be sober. Life is not good. Um, and that's what I did. And it, interestingly enough, was very simple, but it wasn't very easy. Um, so in the big book, it tells us, for, you know, step 10, it tells us to can take continuous personal inventory. Um, and for me, sometimes that looks like when I'm laying in bed at night, going back through like, oh, wow, I really shouldn't have given Jerry such a hard time about spelling my name wrong on the flyer, or, um, <laughs> or whatever I've done that day. Um, but sometimes it also looks like, so in my home group um, on Thursdays, so they're doing their thing right now, on Thursdays we go out to eat afterwards, right? Um, and sometimes it just looks like whoever I'm sitting next to saying like, how was your day? And they tell me and then they ask me how my day was. And I was like, you know, I really didn't have enough patience with my husband. I was just, I snapped at him, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I think that's something that maybe people don't always think about when they think about like your continuous uh, personal inventory. Like you, you can tell, you can write it down in your journal, you can tell someone else, you just be honest about who you are as a person and then try to improve that. Um, and then use what you've improved about yourself to then help somebody else. Like on page 84 in the big book, you know, it says when it go, it's talking about step 10, it says we discuss them, them being whatever we've done, you know, our resentments, our issues that have come up that day, and immediately, you know, quickly make amends for them, and then we turn our thoughts to help somebody. Um, it's very easy for me to think that, like, oh, I'm doing so good at AA. I've done X, Y, and Z service commitment. But, you know, as soon as I let up and sort of, like, rest on my laurels, like, I start to get irritable, restless, discontent, all the things that the program tells us will happen if we stop working hard. Um, 
because alcohol is a subtle foe, so I just have to stay really mindful of that. Um, and part of what helps me stay mindful, and it might work for you too, you can try it, um, is daily <laughs> meditation, right? Um, so I usually, when I wake up in the morning, I try to wake up before my son, and that usually works out okay, um, but sometimes he decides that he wants to wake up before the sun comes up, and then I just don't have my alarm set properly. But my goal is to always wake up, uh, kneel down on the side of my bed, or sometimes it's the couch, like if I've made it into the living room and I'm like, I didn't pray. All right, kneeling at the couch. And I say the third step prayer. Um, sometimes I say the morning prayer, which is, it's pretty much just what's on page 86, um, but I have it, it's like, God direct my thinking today so that it be divorced of self-pity, dishonesty, self-will, self-seeking, and fear. Inspire my thinking, my decisions, my intuition. Help me relax and take it easy. Free me from doubt, indecision, and anxiety. And guide me through this day and help me to be a vessel. What you would have me be for everyone I run into today. Um, so that's my morning, right? Uh, but it doesn't stop there because I'm a flawed human being. And my sponsor, you know, it instructed me that my thinking is not always right. So... I have to work on that throughout the day. And a lot of times that takes the form of prayer. Um, I didn't have my license for the first good bit of my sobriety, and now I have it. So now I have even more opportunities to pray. So I'll be driving down the highway, and Blue Nissan is doing something insane. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, God, let's just pray for Blue Nissan. Um, Blue Nissan is not being safe. But it does help with what would possibly be road rage, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> um, I have to pray before I speak anywhere. So, and we'll talk a little bit about you know, service um, in our next step that I speak about in a few minutes here. But, so before I speak at a service commitment or before I spoke here tonight, I, I was like, Harris, we have to go outside. You have to pray me up. Like, um, before I... My sponsor helped me with this because um, I grew up uh, in a like a denomination where we just recited prayers. So I didn't really know how to talk to God at first. And before I had something big the next day, be court or job interview or whatever, I would call her and she would pray with me. And that sort of taught me how to talk to God, um, which I'm very grateful for because it is a wonderful thing to be able to do. And then just sometimes... You know, throughout the day, something will happen. I'll feel sort of irritated, and I'll just use this little motto that my sponsor told me that was like, bless them, change me. And I think that really covers anything I could possibly run into. Um, and then I have one sponsee who every night, almost every night, um, we, we call, she uh, calls, and then I do, we say like our night prayers together. Um, which is nice. And that's sort of just like a hybrid of everything that's on page 86 as well. We have like our own little night prayer. Um, I could stand up here and read prayers to you guys. I don't think that I will. Um, but I could tell you afterwards if you would like me to tell you the night prayer. And that sort of the night prayer it kind of molds together with then the tenth step like nightly reflection. And that's sort of the beautiful thing about all the steps is because they all go together. Um... Now, step 12 is my favorite, and at first I only liked one part of it, 
Um, so it starts out, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry the message to alcoholics. And I was like, got it. I love talking to people like this is my jam. And then it was like, we have to practice all the, these principles in all of our affairs. And I was like, what? That's a lot of stuff. Okay. So what are these principles? Because that was a question I had too. I was like, well, what are these principles that you want me to do? Um, step one, honesty. Step two, hope. Step three, faith. The honesty, I was already like, excuse me. Um, this is not going to work for me. I have since worked on that. Um, step two, hope. Step three, faith. Step four, courage. Step five, integrity. Another one that you definitely had to work on. I feel good about it now. Uh, step six, willingness. Step seven, humility. Step eight, brotherly love, which I guess that's brotherly love. Is that true, Jerry? Is it brotherly love? Is that not right? All right. <laughs> this is what it says in like the twelve step companion app. Sisterly so, love. sisterly love, yeah. human love, human love. <laughs> uh, step nine, justice. Step ten, perseverance. Step eleven, spirituality, and step twelve, service. Um, or, you know, for our purposes tonight, continue improving practice. So, that was rough because I was like, I don't live by principles. I live by doing whatever I want all of the time. Um, so I definitely had to work with a sponsor on those things and also just really dive into the fellowship, right? Like get to know the people in my home group, go out to dinners with them. If they ask me to do something, you know, AA related, go. Be with these people, learn how to live like a productive human being in society. Because I might right now look like a productive human being that exists in society, but that is not always who I was. But thankfully, through AA, that's who I learned how to be. So now backtracking to the part of the 12 step that I was really excited about um, was carrying the message to other alcoholics. Um, I have a sponsor, she has a sponsor, and I also have the opportunity to sponsor other women. And, you know, that has been one of the best parts of my sobriety because it really helps me get outside of myself and just learn how I can be of service to other people. Um, I don't always know, you know, what to do or what to say exactly right. Um, so then I ask my sponsor if it's something that, you know, me and my sponsor and her sponsor, we all don't know how to handle, then I call Susie. Like, <laughs> depending on where my sponsor is possibly located. Um, uh, another thing is, so, service work. Um, my home group, thankfully, is really big on service work, so there's so many opportunities to get involved. Um, so, fun story. I found out about AA um, from my dad, right? And he's not an alcoholic, but he's a police officer. And they go through this thing called crisis intervention training. Um which is a week where law enforcement officers sit and they learn about all these different things that help people in crisis. And there's a consumer panel where AA members come, they hand out their pamphlets, they tell the officers what AA is, they hand them their pamphlets, they go home, and the officers either throw them away or they, put, they take their whole white binder and they put it in their closet and they save it for when they have to introduce their daughter to AA because that's what happened to my dad. Um, but now I actually, 
it was it, he brought his whole white binder um, when I got my first DUI, and he was like, "You need to go to AA," and I was like, "What? <laughs> um, no, thank you." But now I have the opportunity, and I actually go and I speak at these CIT trainings, which is huge, and they always get a kick out of the fact that like I found out about AA because of this training, and it maybe makes them feel like it's a little bit more worthwhile of their time. I hope. Um, Another thing, uh, Second Chance, the Second Chance program with uh, high school and middle school kids in the county that I live in, they get a drug or alcohol behavior related charge instead of going straight to juvenile court. They can go through this program and they let me speak to these children. And um, I sort of talked to them about AA, what it did for my life and how I could have probably benefited had I stopped drinking and using when I was in high school. Um, attitude adjustments, uh, these are my forte, it's the speaking at the DUI school uh, where I have a lot of experience. Um, I can tell you how to get a DUI and I can also tell you how to prevent getting more DUIs, uh, um, thankfully, right. Um, so I'm excited to hear what Graham from Scotland but also from Virginia Beach has to say next. What? He's from West Virginia. He's from West Virginia. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, I'm just going to read my closing quote at this rate. This is embarrassing. <laughs> anyways, so page 317 of the big book says, Following the principles laid out in the big book has not always been comfortable, nor will I claim perfection. I have yet to find a place in the big book that says, now you have completed the steps, have a nice life. The program is a place for a lifetime of daily living. There have been occasions or temptation to slack off. I view each of these as a learning opportunity. When I am willing to do the right thing, I am rewarded with an inner peace no amount of liquor could ever provide. When I'm unwilling to do the right thing, I become irritable, restless, and discontent. This is always my choice. Through the 12 steps, I have been granted the gift of choice. I am no longer at the mercy of a disease that tells me the only answer is to drink. If willingness is the key to unlock the gates of hell, then it is action that opens those doors that we may walk freely among the living. Thank you. Hey everyone. Uh, my name is Graham. I'm an alcoholic. Jay was just messing with you. I'm from Scotland, <laughs> but I also don't know what the topic is. <laughs> Jerry led me to believe the topic was me, so that's my favorite thing to talk about. And uh, he said, just be done by nine, 9.30, and I think he locked the doors. So anyway, okay, so I'm Graham, I'm an alcoholic, my home group is the Mount Trashmore group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Virginia Beach. Uh, there is a landfill site right in the middle of Virginia Beach and the, the jokers in the city called it Mount Trashmore. And it's a, they turned it into a park where people take their families on top of all this toxic waste. So our home group is right next to it and uh, in a little church there. So it's on Thursday nights at 7.30. It's an open speaker meeting. And uh, just like you guys here, it's on a smaller scale than this. We're, we only started, we started during the pandemic, so we maybe get 
about 20 people. But we do workshops like this as well. And uh, we just try to carry an AA message to people in a sea of... Virginia Beach AA is kind of wacky. I think it's because it's so nearly ocean. So we try to not do that and just talk about AA. And that works well for us. So anyway, uh, I just want to talk about the topic, you know, this idea of... Uh, steps 10, 11 and 12 and the kind of themes in that where I'm, I'm going to continue and I'm going to maintain and I'm going to try to perfect, I guess, some kind of spiritual life. Before I came to AA, I tried to do all that with alcohol. Uh, the first time I drank, I was 13 and uh, me and my friend Craig stole a bottle of wine and took it down the back of the elementary school we'd gone to, drank the wine. And I have a vivid memory of just rolling around on the ground on my back laughing. Just laughing <laughs> and laughing and laughing. And I didn't realise till I came to AA, but what happened to me that night was I think for the first time in my life I felt pure, unadulterated joy. And that, my friends, is why I drink. Because when I drank, it profoundly changed the way I felt. It made me super happy and just this tremendous feeling of wonderfulness. And uh, I was not a slow burn alcoholic. There might be some people in here who drank for 200 years like a gentleman. <laughs> and then they crossed an invisible line, and oh goodness, I'm an alcoholic, I better go to AA. That wasn't what happened to me. I had a blackout the first time I drank. I threw up the next day, and I couldn't wait to do it again. It was already on for the next time. I, I, I immediately became obsessed with alcohol and getting drunk. Uh, so that's kind of how it was for me. When I'm drunk, I'll really do anything. I don't care. Uh, so, I, you know, I took drugs and stuff as well, just like the co-founders, I guess. But uh, I just like getting, I like getting wasted, and the quicker the better. Uh, so... You know, living like that, I try to perfect that, I guess, by finding a particular cocktail of alcohol and drugs that I can mix in my body. I was like an alchemist, you know, looking for, <laughs> looking for gold. And uh, I never quite did it, but, you know, I got close. I got close a bunch of times. So I started the process, I believe, of coming to AA the first night I drank. I didn't know that. And it's so funny because that process took 12 years. I got sober when I was 25. I just turned 50. So I've been sober half my life. Uh, my sobriety date's October the 19th, 1997. And uh, what happened to me in those 12 years was alcohol ground me into the ground over and over and over again. I'm really, I like to think I'm smarter than most people. I really do. <laughs> Honestly, I, like, that's what goes on in this mind. I don't know about you. It must just, but, but what actually happens is that, you know, if you look at me, I'm really, it's like I just keep hitting myself on the head with a hammer over and over again for 12 years. Next time it won't hurt. Next time it won't hurt. Over and over and over again. It just doesn't compute up here that I can't drink alcohol. So some really bad things had to happen to me. And, uh, and they did. And, and eventually, after 12 years, I woke up, curled up in a ball on the floor, once again, crying like a big baby, once again. I humiliated myself once again. Alcohol had tricked me once again into picking up the first drink when I promised I wouldn't drink that night. It was a disaster. And uh, 
I was in so much pain. I hated myself because I thought I'd been thinking for at least 10 years about killing myself on a pretty much a daily basis. I never had the courage to do it. I half ass, half I had some half-hearted attempts sometimes, but I never actually did it. Uh, and I remember just being in so much pain and so miserable. And the funny thing is, that's exactly the opposite of the first time I drank. The first time I drank, I was so full of hope and happiness that this was something that was really going to be wonderful. And the last time I drank, I was absolutely hopeless. And I wanted to die, but didn't have the courage to do anything about it. And I realized I'm always going to be like this. No matter where I go and what I do, I'm going to drink and it's going to hurt people and it's going to hurt me. So that's the condition I was in when I showed up at AA. I had no plans to come to AA. It still troubles me that someone of my caliber ends up in AA. It seems doubtful that I should even really be here. Uh, but here we are, what are you going to do? So. The thing that happened to me when I went to AA, so I was sober when I went to AA, I had stopped drinking. Something happened to me curled up on the floor. I didn't know it had happened. I've never drank since then. I've never done drugs since then. I've never had a serious desire to drink. And I'd never been at AA. So uh, because other people in AA were continuing to practice step 12, I guess, that's really what saved my life. My first AA meeting, it was a big meeting, and the... Uh, they wouldn't let me speak, I'm not sure why. And they, they knew I was a newcomer, and they all went round and they talked for a minute or two about themselves, especially about drinking. And that's the thing that saved my life. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't people talking about the steps. It certainly wasn't people talking about God. I, hate, I, I thought God was dog spelled backwards. I hated anybody that believed in God. I thought they were idiots. I hated Christians, all of them. I hated them. I was an atheist. And if you come over to Scotland, there's a lot of people in AA that are atheists. They don't believe in God and they stay sober for years. And they seem reasonably happy as far as I can tell. So... Uh, the guys that saved my life were actually smarter than me and they could probably feel the anger just emanating from me. It's like I was glowing with anger, you know, I was very, very angry. And uh, they all talked about drinking and I couldn't believe there was other people like me. My whole life, I thought this was just happening to me. And with my wonderful mind, I had figured out I was evil and insane. That's what I knew about myself. I was evil, like the Prince of Darkness, and I was absolutely bananas, because look at the stuff I was doing. I mean, I was really a horrible person. Uh, so, a horrible person that kept selling, telling myself I was a nice guy. That's, that's what was wrong with me. So anyway, they talked about drinking, and I was able to identify myself as an alcoholic. I remember crying at the first meeting, and getting some nice attention for that. I enjoyed that. And, uh, and then these guys took me off to the side and talked to me for several hours. And I had some things I'd done that I was very, very ashamed of. Really terrible things. And uh, I kind of blotted them out to these guys. And they were like, that's okay. It's okay. You're here now. You don't have to live like that anymore. It's all right. This is different now. This is a new chapter. This is a new start. And I just want to remind myself and remind everybody, it is a tremendously positive thing. 
It really is. It's wonderful. AA, from that meeting to this day, which is 25 years, AA has profoundly changed everything about me. It's completely transformed me. And the, the big story is, whatever it is that's wrong with my brain, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, the problem centers in my mind. And it seems to be there's a part of my mind that ought to tell me, you can't drink, don't do it. And I listen to it, but instead what it says is, come on, just have a beer, baby, let's go. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it all stops again. That's really all that's wrong with me. And, and the guys that figured out, AA figured out that somehow by doing the 12 steps with a sponsor, that part of my brain could be repaired. And that's really what the steps did for me. Ever since I took, came to AA, ever since I did the steps, any time that any thought of alcohol has come into my mind, instead of hell yeah, it's hell no. And uh, that is a miracle because I can stop drinking, but I can't stay stopped. That's the problem. Eventually, I always go back to it. And before I drink, I'm listening to a lie in my mind that's telling me I'm not an alcoholic and this is going to be okay. And somehow I'll be able to control it this time. So it's very important. This is very, very simple. And that's really the main thing that AA has done is that it's allowed me to know the truth about my relationship to alcohol and drugs. And the truth about that relationship is I can never safely drink one day at a time for the rest of my life. Now, when I was 25, I didn't like that because the people that were telling me were a lot older than me and I was thinking, you know, you're like at least 70, so you like don't have to drink for five more years. What about me? <laughs> I'm only 25 and, you know, I've got a lot of big things coming up. <coughs> Weddings, all that stuff. So that's when they brought in this 24-hour-a-day program. My first sponsor, the guy that saved my life, a guy called Greg, He's still sober today. He lives on the shore of Lake Superior with his wife, Kim. And uh, he became my first sponsor. She tricked me into getting him to be my sponsor. And they started up a little meeting. Uh, We actually met in my house because we were living in Japan at the time. Uh, And the three of us would have a meeting. And there was a young lady called Andrea. And she also came to the meeting. She was about a year sober. And... uh, one of the main reasons I continued coming to AA for the first six to nine months was because I had a crush on Andrea. <laughs> she used to wear these tiny shorts to the meeting. It's very hot in Japan. And uh, her sponsor told her just to stay away from me. So I would call her up and I'd be like, you know, because I was lonely, right? I'd call her up and be like, Andrea, why don't we hang out? And she'd be like, you should hang out with Greg, your sponsor. <laughs> And uh, I really believed if I stayed sober and was a good boy in AA, Andrea would date me. And so that never, ever happened. (laughs) And and thank God, because it would have been so easy for me to run into a relationship. I have a very obsessive mind at that time. It's still prone to obsession, but it's nowhere near as intense as it was back then. And love would quickly turn to resentment and hatred, and I'd probably drink again. So it was great. My Greg told me, Don't, you can't date anyone for a year. And then when we got to a year, he said, it's going to be two years for you. <laughs> he really did. 
tried to date anyone for two years. I'm not kidding. I was absolutely insane when I came to AA. I didn't have anything to bring to a relationship but a whole bunch of pain and drama. And uh, so anyway, uh, that's how it was for me. So Greg took me through the steps. He, he, he was so smart. Uh, he's, he's a fine artist, like he's a professor of painting at a college uh, up there in Michigan where he lives in a city called Calumet. And uh, he figured out I was an angry atheist. So he just avoided talking about God at all costs. And he would just say, you know, you don't have to believe in God to get sober in AA. You don't have to believe in anything to stay sober in AA. You have to do some things. And this goes to our theme tonight, you know, of continuing. He was very big on continuing to do these things and practicing these things, no matter what's going on in my life. And he really triple underlined that AA is not a program of believing. It's not a program of thinking. It's not a program of feeling. It's not a program really related to my opinions. It is a very, very simple program of action. It's so simple, it couldn't be that simple. And he just really harped on about that all the time. He said, listen, doing step one and two, that took you 12 years, you know? And welcome to AE. Now we're here, you're ready to do step three. You're just making a decision. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute, it says God, you know, what was this God thing? He's like, it's okay, that can be a group of drunks. It can be a good, orderly direction. It's all right. It's okay. You don't need to believe in God to get sober in AA and stay sober in AA. He said, but I want you to pray. And I'm like, but I don't believe in God. And he said, I, that doesn't matter, just pray anyway. And so I started to pray. And my first prayers, I think it's the first time I ever prayed in my life, like when my backside wasn't on fire. And what I got down on my knees, well, you know what, I wouldn't get down on my knees, so he got me to put all my shoes under my bed. So what would happen is, and I really did this, I'm not making this up, I'm a very defiant dude. So I'd all, I all—I didn't have a lot of shoes, now I'm like a Maldo Marcos, I've got loads of shoes. Come to America, you get all these shoes, how does that happen? When I was in Scotland, I had like two pairs of shoes, but anyway, whatever, that's another story. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I, I put my shoes under my bed, and then in the morning I'm running to get to work, and I've got no shoes, and I have to go up and kneel beside my bed to get my shoes. And that's how I got down on my knees for the first few weeks to say, please, God, keep me sober today. And that's really the first prayer I ever said. And I would do that, please, God, keep me sober today. And like Ariana said, uh, he got me right from the start, reading page 86 through the end of that chapter and trying to focus on this 24-hour plan for living. This is really a radical departure from the way I used to live. I used to live my life everywhere except the current 24 hours. I didn't like the 24 hours that I'm in right now. My whole life was spent away over there in the future or away back there in the past. And I guess over time the steps help me see that. When I'm living in the future, I'm just full of fear. I'm going to get caught. They're going to find out what I did. I'm going to get caught in that lie. Everybody's going to know. You know, just constantly worrying about that stuff. And then the past, I'm thinking about how they wronged me. And I'm just smouldering over that. Who does he think he is saying that to me? If he was here right now, this is what I would say to him. And I'd be driving along in my car, like, as if the dude's there, and I'm, like, shouting at him and stuff. 
I mean, I can still do that today, to be honest with you. There's a guy at work I don't care for, and sometimes I'm like pretending I'm talking to my boss and telling him off and stuff. It's crazy. Well, it's not crazy. It could be me. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's just this idea that I'm holding grudges about stuff that's already happened and carrying that around with me all the time. So I was never in the moment. So it's really been wonderful as the years have gone by. And I would say today, I often catch myself in those thoughts. I still have those thoughts. I still keep score. My mind is hardwired. It's a hardwired scorekeeper. And it's always like keeping score with everybody. And I'm not really sure why it does that. I guess it's to try and make myself feel better. But in any case, what I'm able to do when I start to resent people and start to put, or judge them and put them down in my mind, I'm usually able to interrupt those thoughts now. And what I'm saying is I'm supposed to be trusting in God. God, please help me to see how I'm the same as this person. Save me from being angry. How can I be helpful to this person? Instead of just a whole bunch of expletives about how bad that person is, how they suck, and how I don't. That's really <laughs> my favourite story, right? Such a judger. A nasty little judger. And the bottom line is, it's, it's funny, um, a guy in my home group's doing this thing that he shouldn't be doing, okay? And he confided in me, I haven't told anybody about it, I'm going to keep his confidence. And I found myself really judging him. And then I had this realization, I did that <laughs> when I was sober. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm bringing to the table. It's crazy. Like, there's one set of rules for me. Like, I just get a pass. Oh, let me explain, you know? Everybody else, no, no mercy, you know? Straight to, like, execution, you know? And, and no compassion there and no empathy and no understanding, just, like... Oh, how could you do that? You know, and it's something that I myself have done. So that seems to be an ongoing process for me to really try to have more empathy and compassion and understanding for other people. It's, it's in short supply sometimes inside my mind. So uh, as far as step 10 goes, I, I talk to guys, like Ariana was saying, I talk to people every day in AA. The people in my home group and my sponsor, uh, I try to be open and honest with them, and I especially try to tell them about my struggles and my flaws. I also tell them about the good stuff as well, and there's lots of good stuff in my life, but the good stuff doesn't really cause me trouble. It doesn't really get me into trouble. It doesn't really make me unhappy. It's, it's more these flaws that make me unhappy and, and these struggles that I have. Mostly it's to do with me not accepting other people the way they are. If I could just accept everybody the way they are. One time I went to hear the speaker in Richmond, and they, they, I, I was sitting there, I had my arms folded, I was sitting on the throne of judgment, and I thought, this guy's, this guy's terrible, you know, what a clown. <laughs> he said something that stuck in my mind and profoundly changed my recovery. And this is what he said. So he's, he's talking and talking, I'm not even listening, and then suddenly he says this, and I'm like, whoa! And he says... Uh, you know, if I just lower my expectations of other people in AA, and while I'm at it, lower my expectations of myself, I'm just so much happier. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and you know, the more I think about that, that really causes me so much trouble. I expect people, I expect the world to be the way my mind thinks it should be. 
Now, there's a lot of evidence that that's, the world shouldn't be like my mind thinks it should be. <laughs> the world was like that right now. I'd be like inside like a castle made out of gold. And I'd have like people, I'd just tell them all what to do or something. It would be weird. It would be really weird. Uh, so, it, the, you know, humans are not supposed to be able to do that. So instead, what I need to try to do is accept people the way they are and accept the world the way, they are, the way it is and, and instead look at, look at myself. Uh, this idea of working on myself, I, I really need to talk about that. Uh, where I am right now, there's a big movement in AA to, when you get to step six, to stop. Stop doing the steps and then you have to buy all these books. One of them's called Drop the Rock. And I don't want to offend anybody, but please drop the book. <laughs> because I'm, you know, I'm just tired of it. It's like, oh my God. You're working on yourself again? You don't seem very happy. Can you just stop? That's the problem. The problem is me working on myself. You know how hard I worked on myself when I was drinking and doing drugs? Oh my God, it's all I did. I just thought about myself all the time. I was crazed. My brain was fevered, trying to find a way to be happy. And it didn't work. I came up where, like I told you, I wanted to die. And I have to tell you, though, I still am drawn to that all the time. Maybe if I buy a new car, you know? It's, it, it's a motorbike. I need a gold wing. I'm 50, you know? Whatever. I, anything to just try to make myself feel better. And really, that's not been my experience at all. Uh, I'm a guy that really, really, really enjoys gossiping. You know, it's like one of my big things. It's one of my favorite things. Come on. Don't judge me. I love it. You know, it's, uh, I'm not drinking. Uh, so so, so I'm, I'm like gossiping, right? And so what that looks like is basically I'm getting together with my little clique at work or sometimes my little clique in AA and I'm basically judging people and verbalizing it to other people. Yeah, that's basically what I'm doing. I'm right, they're wrong, I'm good, they're bad. I'm up here, they're way down there. Hi. <laughs> so anyway, uh, and, and over the years with inventories, it's, it always comes up because I actually feel bad after I do it. I feel like dirty. And then I also, when I meet the person that I was gossiping about, I'm kind of like this, hi, how you doing? Nice to see you, I can't look them in the eye. So my whole life, like going through this, many years sober, still doing this. And I guess I liked it. I guess I enjoyed it. I guess somehow it made me feel better. I don't know. But anyway, I had this strange experience. And this, this, I'm actually embarrassed. This is quite recently. This is like within the last year this happened. And you know, I'm such a disappointment. You would think after all this time I'd be a spiritual giant. But anyway, what happened was... Uh, this this person at work was just being horrid to everybody and someone called me up and threw me a piece of red meat and all I had to do is just go over and bite it and then it was on, we could gossip about that person I had a whole bunch of stories I could bring to the table to run this person down so we could all be in agreement this was a truly bad person and that we were good and what happened is I didn't say anything I was, and I changed the subject. And then afterwards, I was like, whoa. And it actually felt really good. 
And I guess what happened, and this has happened to me over and over again, is there's these parts of myself that I don't like. Lots of parts of myself I really don't like, and I wish they were gone. And I wish whatever God is had taken them away in step seven when I said that prayer years ago. And, uh, and at times I've worked on them to try and get rid of them, and they just get worse when I do that, it seems, because I'm focusing on them. And it was removed. And really, to be honest, since then I haven't gossiped at work. I'm not doing that anymore. But it wasn't me that decided, okay, now I'm going to stop gossiping. It just hasn't happened. And the same in the home group, I'm not doing it there. It's really, really refreshing. I'm really enjoying it. And that temptation to do that seems to have been taken away. It's crazy. So that's happened with me with a bunch of things in my life. So it seems like there's really not a lot I can do about all of that stuff. What I need to do is continually be refocused on the solution. And the solution is to take personal inventory, you know, when these things crop up. Not if, but when. We all know that, right? I'm going to get resentful. This thing up here is a resentment machine. I got, like, the upgraded version. Okay, it's really expert at creating petty resentments at the drop of a hat. He didn't say hello to me at the meeting last night. You know, oh, he didn't return, they don't return my phone call. Oh my goodness. That can be a bad one. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so that resentment, that fear that we've talked about of the future, primarily getting found out, things not working out, things going wrong. I have a disabled son and I've had a lot of fear about him like terrible fear, uh, you know, and a lot of self-pity as well. Like, why is this happening to my kid? And I have to tell you this story because it shows me again, is I, I'm absolutely so far away from the truth so much of the time. So we moved to a neighborhood four or five years ago. It's a double cul-de-sac. It's real nice out there in Chesapeake in the swamp. And uh, we... Uh, we have this nice home and these neighbors, and I was very resentful at the time. My son's epilepsy was really bad, and I was just very angry. We'd had to pull him out of public school because they weren't doing what we wanted, basically, or what they should have done. So poor, poor me crying me a river. So what happens is uh, I'm just all resentful and angry, and I kind of just shut myself off from the neighbors. I'm resentful at my neighbors because they've got normal kids, and I'm just like really upset about the whole thing and I really just shut down. I was going to AA, I wasn't drinking, I was you know, doing the stuff in AA, I guess, taking the AA actions, no matter what, no matter how I feel. But I wasn't a happy camper. This went on for several years. So meanwhile, I'm at this bicycle shop with my son, my disabled son. His name's Ewan. Like Ewan McGregor, my wife thinks he's handsome. Uh, I'm not so sure, but anyway, whatever. Different strokes, I guess. Uh, so we're in this bike shop and Ewan can't ride a bike okay he's never been able to balance and ride a bike so I'm getting my bike fixed anyway the old guy in the bike shop says what about a tricycle and I'm like no 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 next thing you know he's got Ewan on a tricycle and Ewan's like zooming around the store on this tricycle and I'm like oh my god so I buy the tricycle and we go home so then the day comes, I'm always with him when he's on his tricycle. The day comes, he's like, I'm going out on my own on my tricycle. And we're like, no. And then we relent because he's got a phone and we can see where he is. So we're like, okay, but you have to let us know where you are. So he goes off on his trike around the neighborhood. And we don't think anything else of it. So what we didn't know was 
my son's got this very extrovert personality and he was going to all the neighbours and ringing their doorbell and talking to them. <laughs> and people were at work and the ring camera would go in, they would see him like that, pressing the doorbell during the day. So he's going around the neighbourhood. There's an old lady called Ophelia. My son's favourite food is donuts. She started buying donuts so he could have a donut every time he goes there. And then this other old lady noticed my son was always on his own on the trike. Her name's Joni. And she got all the neighbourhood kids together and said, you need to play with that kid. And they all started playing with him. So I'm still over here angry, resentful, angry at God. Why did you do this to me? Why did you do this to my kid? How dare you? I've been a good boy in AA for all these years and this is what you do? <laughs> Meanwhile, my son Ewan is having the time of his life with this little tricycle going round and round the neighbourhood. And uh, he's really doing great. So I think the point I'm trying to make is, is that no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how easy it is or how, how difficult it seems, my responsibility is to focus on doing these actions in AA that we can all agree on. We can all agree that if I pray and meditate, I seem to react better to life. We can all agree that if I go to my home group every week and participate and try to be honest with the people in my home group, I can have that community, that, that, that the home group is the heartbeat of my life, of AA, and I feel involved and happy to go there. We can all agree that above everything else, if I've taken the first 11 steps, I can get really involved in doing the thing that's going to save my life. And the thing that's going to save my life more than all of that is helping other people get sober in AA. So, so how I do that is we're just coming out of COVID now. I'm obviously alcoholic. I always overdo things. So there's actually two prisons in a field next to the town I live in. So uh, I'm friends with the guy that coordinates that. So I signed up for both prisons and I signed up for the jail and I signed up for a detox. So now me and some other guys, we're going in there pretty much once a week and doing this kind of message carrying meeting and just constantly trying to do that with the belief that that's what's really important is for me to carry the message to other people. And all this other stuff in my life, like my kid, I really don't seem to be in control of that. He's got his own life and he's going to do what he wants to do. And I guess my job is just to try to love him and be supportive and, uh, and do that the best I can and not indulge in this idea that somehow this is a punishment for me. It's, isn't it strange how I make everything about me? All the time, all roads lead to Graham. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's tiresome sometimes, but there is freedom from that. So anyway, I'm going to wrap up, but I just wanted to say, you know, if you're new in AA, if you've been in AA a while and you feel terrible and things are not going good, you know, I just want to remind you, I, I, the second guy that saved my life when I was seven years sober, uh, I was being sponsored by a Scottish guy called Graham, and, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't doing a good job. I had a sponsor, but... I didn't want to talk to him. He was old. I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And my, my life got really dark in sobriety about five to seven years sober. Uh, it was, I was on a huge dry drunk. I didn't stop going to meetings and I didn't drink. But my life was really ugly. Maybe worse in some ways than when I was actually drinking. And uh, I was in a lot of pain and I couldn't tell anybody because I, with my pride, I'd been sober so long that I didn't want people to judge me. So I had to pretend I was doing great in AA. And uh, that got me in so much pain that eventually I sat down with this guy and found myself just kind of blotting out what was really going on. 
And eventually, after a few minutes, he put his hand up and he said these words that really saved me. He said, Graham, it's okay. AA is full of people like you. You've got untreated alcoholism. And if you just do these simple actions of AA that we all know how to do, you'll be fine. You don't have to drink and your life can turn around. And that's exactly what happened. So I, I take great hope from AA and great strength. I love being sober. I love AA. And, uh, you know, I'm not in the AA police. Uh, my, my boys play video games a lot and they have this thing. They say, play your play, bro. And play your play, bro, means I'm playing my game. Leave me alone and don't tell me how to play it. And, uh, you know, so live and let live. You, you want to do AA, do it the way that you, you figure is best for you. And I guess I'll do the same. So thanks for letting me speak tonight. Thank you.